Welcome. My name is George Mann, and I'm the writer of Newbreen Hobbs, Witchwood, and Star Wars The High Republic. This is Kevin Shinnick, writer of Star Wars Force Collector. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening. And you are listening. To Star Wars Comics in Canon, the Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings another High Republic book review. So my friends, this week we are finishing off the High Republic Phase 2. I say finishing off, there's still going to be two pieces of content that are connecting with the High Republic Phase 2, and those are going to be the Tales of Light and Life short story collection, and also the Tales of Enlightenment short story collection. So I'm waiting on a couple of those. One of them has been dispatched, Tales of Light and Life, and the other one, Tales of Enlightenment by George Mann, isn't due to be released in one full collection until later in 2023. I think it's near December, so it's likely that I won't tackle the truly final piece of Phase 2 content of the High Republic until early 2024, but as far as things go, I have now tackled every single comic, and I have tackled all the main novels to do with the High Republic Phase 1 and Phase 2. But before I delve into that, just a little explanation of what this episode is going to show in case you haven't tuned into any of my book reviews before. So I generally split my book reviews into three parts. So I've got my first part, which is completely spoiler free, which is usually just a little bit of information, but normally just my thoughts on the book itself, some of the themes and a little bit of information. And then the second part is very light spoiler territory, normally like the information that's on the blurb or the first couple of chapters of the book without any real spoilers and talking a little bit about the characters and a little bit more information. And then I give my major spoiler warning and I give my full review with no holds barred and then I give a full plot overview giving you a general idea of what happened in the book just in case you haven't picked it up and you wanted to know. So that's what you can expect from this review but let's just start off right at the beginning with the release information and the timeline. So the book itself is technically a young adult novel. It is technically the sequel to The Path of Deceit, but I'll get into all of the connected content and stuff when we get there. It was released to the general public May 2nd, 2023. I say that because they were selling copies at Star Wars Celebration Europe. I did go to Star Wars Celebration Europe, but I didn't pick up a copy. I didn't go to any of these sort of shops and things in there until a little bit later in the weekend, and it had already been picked up, understandably, because the High Republic is incredible. So Path of Vengeance is in Phase 2 of the High Republic. Just a quick recap, Phase 1 of the High Republic is set 200 years before the Phantom Menace, which is approximately 232 years before the Battle of Yavin, which is what A New Hope is. And then Phase 2 of the High Republic is approximately 150 years before Phase 1 of the High Republic, so it's approximately 382 years before the Battle of Yavin. I think Phase 3 is going to be starting like a year or so after Phase 1, so they're going to be a lot more closer together. But we're not on Phase 3 yet. First bit of Phase 3 content, apart from maybe Tales of Light and Life that could be considered, the actual real Phase 3 is kicking off with the Shadows of Starlight miniseries by Charles Saul. I think the first issue of that comes out, I believe, October, but the first big book, I believe it's called Eye of Darkness by George Mann, that is actually coming out, I believe it's November. Now, I will note here, if you haven't tuned into any of my content before, I have actually interviewed Kevin Scott, Claudia Gray, and George Mann. Speaking about the High Republic, Claudia Gray was a little while ago now, so it was just before the High Republic kind of kicked off, but Kevin Scott was in 2022, and George Mann was in 2023. So if you want to hear myself speak with those individuals about their writing and Star Wars and the High Republic and things, please check those out. I'll put details in the description, but wherever you're listening on any podcast feed or on YouTube, you should be able to type in their name and you will find it. And the Kevin Scott and George Mann conversations do have video versions of them as well on my YouTube channel. So go over to youtube.com slash genuine chit chat and subscribe. If you're already there, subscribe and like and leave a comment. Tell me what you think. So Path of Vengeance is chronologically the last book in the High Republic Phase 2, and it is technically the end, but it is also kind of in the middle because it actually is set up in sort of three parts which take place over the course of Phase 2. If you read Path of Deceit and then Path of Vengeance, it goes from the very start of Phase 2 right to the very end, so that was very, very succinct. Whereas the other novels and things are kind of connective tissue in certain ways, Convergence and Cataclysm are the, air quotes, adult novels and give a lot of information about the forever war between Erano and Aram and has a lot of incredible detail in the Night of Sorrow, but 
Path of Vengeance and Path of Deceit, they follow Marder and Yana Roe, who are Marcion Roe's ancestors. They're both ever any species, and Marcion Roe is the main antagonist of the High Republic Phase 1 and Phase 3, and he is like the leader of the Nile, he's called the Eye of the Nile, he's on the cover of Eye of Darkness, and as Phase 1 progressed, we got more and more about him, and there's also the amazing Eye of the Storm two-part comic series, which Charles Saul wrote, and that gives a lot more information about Marcion Roe, and gives you like a little hint of him as a child, and actually hints on Marder and Yana Roe as well, but I'm sure once Phase 3 kicks off, we'll have a lot more information. But the book itself, so just before I get into my review, I'm going to read out the crawl for this book, and that doesn't give a spoiler, it just gives you a very light hint of where it is in the timeline, and it is in Phase 2, as I said, and Wave 2. There are only two waves in Phase 2 of the High Republic, Wave 1 and Wave 2, obviously, and it's just essentially what happens before the Battle of Jeddah and what happens after the Battle of Jeddah. And this book starts taking place during the Battle of Jeddah, so that all makes sense. And obviously there's the Battle of Jeddah audiobook, which is really great to listen to, or you can read the script book, and I did also do a full episode on that as well, if you want to hear my review and the general plot details of that. But before delving into any of my thoughts, here is the crawl. There is conflict in the galaxy. Chaos on the pilgrim moon of Jeddah has resulted in a devastating battle. In the aftermath, the Jedi have learned of the involvement of the seemingly benevolent group Path of the Open Hand in the violent interplanetary conspiracies. With communications down, the leader of the Path, the Mother, races back to the planet of Dalna to make her ultimate escape. Little do the Jedi know, the Mother is about to unleash mysterious nameless creatures with the power to destroy the Order once and for all. So as I said in the start, the book takes place after the Path of Deceit, but also the Battle of Jeddah. So the Battle of Jeddah is the connective tissue that sits right in the middle between Wave 1 and Wave 2 content. So there's two junior novels, two adult novels, and two young adult novels, and they're kind of like bookends to the Battle of Jeddah. That's kind of the similar thing with the comics as well. It seems a volume one of all the comics is set before and a volume two of the comics is set after. So it's all been knitted together very well. The miniseries are slightly more varied in where they are on the timeline, but I'm not going to delve into all that here because I'll be here for hours. But what did I think of this book? Um, In short, I thought it was fantastic. Um, I do enjoy all the High Republic novels. As people know, I haven't said that any of them are especially bad. I think that the Phase 2 weakest novels have been the junior novels, whereas I felt in Phase 1 the junior novels were absolutely fantastic, and I found the young adult novels were the weakest in Phase 1, so it's going to be interesting to see what Phase 3 holds. But in this one I found that I think Path of Deceit was the best novel in the Phase 2, but I think Cataclysm might actually maybe overtake it, I'm not overly sure. I mean, Path of Deceit ends with a real gut punch that I wasn't expecting, and I really appreciate that about the book. I quite like books that end on a downer, or at least media that ends on a downer. But Path of Deceit I think is fantastic, I think it is arguably the best book in Phase 2, but upon reflection, and especially since reading a lot of the other pieces of content in Phase 2, and how they will link into the Night of Sorrow, which is written expertly in Cataclysm, like a huge portion of Cataclysm is the Night of Sorrow, also known as the Battle of Dalna, which we do get other perspectives on in this book. But it's just, I don't know if any Star Wars writing I've read, apart from maybe elements of the Rising Storm and elements of the Darth Bane books, really hit those highs that Cataclysm hits. Now, in Path of Vengeance, I did really enjoy this book. It wasn't structured how I thought it was going to be. Before delving in, I had no idea it was going to be in three parts. And I obviously, now it makes a lot of sense why they did it. And it's written very well. But it's obviously following Marder and Yana Roe. And it's kind of showing while the adult novels were going on and the junior novels and the comics and things, we don't really get to see much of what Marder and Yana are up to. And this book really shows exactly what they were doing. And Mardaro is obviously more of the dogmatic of the, because they're two cousins, Marda and Yana. So Marda is more of the dogmatic one, the one who's kind of more aligned with the belief system of the Path of the Open Hand, while Yana is kind of pulling back a little bit more. But at the start of the Path of Deceit, it was kind of the opposite way round. And I think Yana's a little bit older, and it's kind of just showing these two individuals who are connected by similar beliefs, but are also diverging off. And I think that the big theme, and I've said this in a couple of book reviews, I think the big theme of Phase 2 is duality. So obviously it's Phase 2, there's two volumes of each of the ongoing comic series, which was High Republic Adventures by Dark Horse and the High Republic comics by Marvel. You've got two adult, two junior, two young adult novels. You've got two of kind of everything. And obviously there's the master and apprentice relationship that does go on throughout Star Wars, where there's obviously two of those. But then you've got Mardaro and Yanaro. You've got the mother and the herald. You've got loads of different elements of groupings of two that I find. Whereas in phase one, I notice there's a lot more threes. You know, the main kind of characters, as it were, in phase one is Avar, Chris, Elzarman, and Stellan Geos. And then there's lots of 
collections of threes, but I'm not going to delve into that here. Maybe when I tackle phase three, I'll kind of connect those dots. I assume that was deliberate because there's a lot of planning that goes on in the High Republic. And it's one of the reasons I love it so much is because, I mean, this book really fills in all of these gaps that we had as readers when you consume all the other content. And if I had the time, I would read it all again to see really like how many breadcrumbs have been left. Like I really want to revisit phase one, but there's just so much of it. And it's also good. And with phase three coming out and I'm also reading some non-Star Wars content, which I'm trying to catch up on as well. But just the duality in this book works really, really well. And this book, you know, in a Cameron Scott fashion, does have certain horror elements and is very dark in places. And it really delves deep into the people. You know, what is what is kind of the driving force behind all of these characters? You know, primarily focusing on Marda, Yana, the mother, and Worth Pluth, also known as the Herald. Now, I will delve into the mother's real name, but that gives like that's kind of a twist, I guess. That's kind of like a reveal in some respects, which I will delve into. But obviously, I'm trying to keep this spoiler free to begin with. But I really, really liked this. And I think I probably did enjoy Path of Deceit a little bit more. And I think I enjoyed Cataclysm more. But I'm in no way saying that this book is weak in any respect. It's a really, really good book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I do think that my only real criticism of this is it did feel a bit long. And obviously it had to span a huge amount of time, whereas the other books and pieces of content are much more focused and narrow, whereas this is telling essentially two stories going on at once. And even when you see like Path of Deceit next to Path of Vengeance, like the amount of pages it is, just the size of it is very different. And I just checked online and according to Wikipedia, Path of Deceit is 352 pages, while Path of Vengeance is 528. And I did some quick maths on this and I was actually quite surprised by the results where I had to check it over a couple times. But Path of Vengeance is exactly 50% bigger than Path of Deceit. So it's got exactly half again how many pages Path of Deceit has. So that's one of the reasons why it feels a lot longer, because it is literally half as big again. So in better terms, Path of Deceit is about two thirds the size of Path of Vengeance. Lots of different maths things that I'm sure none of you are even fussed about. And you're probably listening to this going, Mike, just get off the page numbers. But it just kind of illustrate how much bigger this book is. Whereas a lot of the time when you've got these pairings, the two junior novels, the two adult novels, they are usually quite similar in size. But obviously Path of Vengeance is really trying to be that big end to this. And Path of Deceit is really like the start of it. But I know that Midnight Horizon in phase one was uh, quite a bit bigger than I think the other two books as well. But the only thing of Path of Vengeance is there were parts and I was just a bit like, I'm not as invested in this element. I quite liked Marda Rose's story and where she kind of goes and things like that. But there were other parts that I just wasn't as intrigued by. I think it's probably in part because of my own expectations. And when I went into this, I thought, oh, this is going to continue off from where Cataclysm finished. And that is not the case. Obviously, it kind of starts before that. So I did kind of find there were parts I was reading and I was like, I already know what happens here. And especially because Kevin Scott wrote the High Republic Marvel comics, which are really, really good. But they're all very central to the Battle of Jeddah. And then there are a couple of characters in this book, which their story continues on from where we saw them in the comics. And so... To kind of introduce those characters and to kind of get a grip as to what was going on, Kevin Scott very expertly didn't necessarily repeat what was in the comics, but there was a lot of kind of having to introduce characters. I mean, it's kind of like, and this is not spoilers or anything like that, but like in the Ahsoka series, anyone who's seen Rebels, the first couple of episodes of Ahsoka, they were good, but it's kind of like this is introducing characters that the rest of us are already familiar with. And it was a little bit like that. And with a universe as big as Star Wars, especially one where the storytelling is non-linear, you know, you go into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example, and almost all content is set after the content before it, apart from a couple of exceptions. Whereas in Star Wars, it's dotted all around, like books are released and some of them are during the Clone Wars or the Galactic Civil War or the sequel trilogy or the High Republic. Like there's not really a release order to them being consistent with chronologically speaking, unless you're specifically talking about like the High Republic, for example. And obviously it's a lot of heavy lifting for an author to introduce lots of characters while also not just rewriting stuff that's came before. So I will confirm that Kevin Scott's writing I've always loved. As I said, uh, The Rising Storm is my favourite book in Phase 1, and it is one of my favourite Star Wars books of all time. I absolutely adore it. So Kevin Scott really knows how to write, and I just think with a book like this, he just had a lot to do, and I think... I'm not sure if he could have necessarily made the book that much shorter. I feel like if he'd have made the book shorter, people who didn't read the comics and things, which is more Star Wars uh, fans because it's kind of like almost every Star Wars fan seen all the movies, then less of them have seen the live action stuff, then less of them have seen the animated stuff, then less of them have read the books, and then even less of them have read the comics. So the comics are like the lowest or least consumed Star Wars content, at least from what I understand. And so... 
You can't just say to someone, oh yeah, read the comics and everything will make sense because it's not really fair to people who just want to read books and whatnot. So I do completely get it and it's not a slight on Kevin Scott. It's just one of those things as someone who, especially with the High Republic, I'm consuming all the content. I'm just going to get a bit of repeating. Like that's that's kind of what you expect from doing something like that. But I felt the pacing was good as well, but I did find it kind of in the middle. It was interesting, but one of the benefits of Star Wars and also one of the issues with it is when you have multiple storylines going on at once, it can make it really interesting. Like the Night of Sorrow, when that was written in Cataclysm, that was really, really exciting because it was like action, action, action. It was flitting between what all these characters doing here. Oh, there's an explosion over here. Let's see what these different characters kind of how they react to those things. And in this book, whereas primarily two storylines going on at once, primarily following Marda and Yana, not both of them were doing necessarily exciting stuff at the same time. So there were points where Marda was in quite an intense situation. And then the next chapter is Yana just kind of wandering around and then goes back to Marda in like an intense situation. And I did find that a little bit jarring in certain respects. I think a similarity I would draw to it would probably be Thrawn Alliances by Timothy Zahn. Like, I really like that book, but it's probably my least favourite in the Thrawn canon trilogy because you've got really exciting stuff happening with Thrawn and Vader and then some quite exciting stuff happening with Thrawn and Anakin. And then you've got this Padme side plot, which is important to the plot to a degree, but also it does kind of just drag a bit. And I'm like, I want to go back to the action. You know, you've set up this action set piece. I want to know what's going on there. When that's done, let's go back to Padme. But you can't always do that because what's happening with someone who's not doing something that exciting, it directly leads onto this boring, in air quotes, thing that they're doing, leads onto an event that occurs with the exciting stuff that happens. So I know exactly why writers do it. I completely understand that. But for me personally, I found that this book just was, I find it with a lot of young adult novels, actually, um, not young adult as a whole, but young adult in Star Wars, especially the High Republic. I did find I called it the lull in uh, phase one. I think that was like my catchphrase in the young adult uh, book reviews. But I found that for Into the Dark, Out of the Shadows and Midnight Horizon, although I enjoyed the books themselves, I found the first third of the book was really interesting and the ending was really good. There's just this middle section. It just felt a bit slow in parts and middling maybe a bit. But again, I did still really, really enjoy it. But I think that when Lydia Kang wrote the Night of Sorrow parts in Cataclysm, I feel like they were, they, they like so surprised me and were so incredible to read and were so thrilling. I think that that's like peak Star Wars writing. And I feel like almost anything I would have read after that would have been really hard to compete with that. So I think that's kind of part of it as well. But because I wanted to read things chronologically and I didn't want things spoiled, I read it in the way that I did. And not to say that you won't enjoy elements of this book, like the, the story and the characters of this are really, really good. It's just that maybe I feel like the young adult novels should have been three different books because I feel like if I'd have read Path of Deceit, then Convergence, then like a middle path book, then Cataclysm, then Path of Vengeance, maybe it would have felt a bit better, I guess. But then obviously that would probably just mean that my book review of this non-existent middle path book would have probably been even lower because it wouldn't have been any of the exciting stuff. But then I guess the Battle of Jeddah is that book that I'm referring to, so I'm literally undoing my own thoughts as I'm speaking. But it's just how I felt when I read it, and I don't think it was fatigue of the High Republic because after this there were still comics that were coming out that I was still reading and content I was still consuming, and I was still really enjoying those. So I did enjoy the book, I thought it was good. Um, I think the ending's good, I think the start's good, and I think the middle is enjoyable. It's just there are parts that weren't quite as grabbing to me as possible. But the characters are really, really interesting. I did like the use of Marda and Yana and how they are, and the High Republic in itself is quite interesting. I'm just more intrigued where this is going to go, but I'm going to delve more into that in my full spoilery review. But with that in mind, my friends, I think it's a good segue to kind of give you a mild spoiler warning, and I'll give you a little bit more detail on some of the themes and some of the things I thought about in this, delving a little bit more into the plot. And a great way to do this is to read out the blurb, also known as the publisher's summary. So this is going to give you a little bit of information about Path of Vengeance, and then I'm going to kind of build my thoughts off of that and talk about the first maybe part of the book and a little bit more about some of the characters that show up that aren't spoilers. So uh, this is your mild spoiler warning, and uh, here is the publisher's summary. Cousins Marda and Yana Rowe both belong to the path of the open hand, but could not be more different. The path, led by the charismatic woman called the Mother, believes the Force must not be used by anyone, especially the Jedi. Marda embraces the path's vision, while Yana remains sceptical. And when a path mission to the Pilgrim Moon of Jeddah erupts in violence, the two cousins find themselves more at odds than ever before. Blaming the Jedi for the devastation on Jeddah and determined to prove she deserves her place in the path, 
Marder joins a perilous expedition to the fabled Planet X in search of the more mysterious creatures like the Leveller to use against the Jedi. The planet appears to be a paradise, but hides horrors beneath the surface. Yana, for her part, finds herself forming an alliance with the last person she would ever have guessed, the Herald, the father of Yana's dead lover. The two will have to grudgingly work together in order to wrest the path from the mother's control. Two young women at the heart of the path, bound by blood but driven apart by faith, will face a crossroads where they choose not only their own fates, but that of the galaxy itself. So building off what that blurb said with a little bit more spoilery thoughts on this matter, obviously I mentioned about Yana and Marda slightly earlier on, and linking back in with Path of Deceit and what I said earlier, it is that Yana is more indoctrinated into the Path of the Open Hand in the beginning because she's basically going around killing people, taking Force artifacts and things, and then after the death of her partner, that's kind of when things start to unravel for her in her mind. Whereas with Marda, what happens is when Kevmo dies in Path of Deceit, then she's kind of at this crossroads where she either has to double down or she needs to kind of back away, and obviously she doubles down. So the story really is about those two, and from what happens near the start, as it alludes to in this summary, is that Yana kind of stays after the Battle of Jeddah, is kind of trying to find herself, figure out really what to do, while Marda goes off to Planet X. So Planet X is detailed in the junior book, Quest for Planet X, and her time there is quite interesting. I'll delve more into it when I get into the spoilery parts, but it's very interesting. I really like the writing style of Planet X, and I think it's a really interesting concept. I would really like to have more things like Planet X kind of delved into a bit more. It's like a force-centric planet, and that's where the leveler creatures are actually from, or leveler is the main one, the nameless creatures are actually from, and I would quite like more force-y planets. Like, whenever it appears in canon, I find them really interesting. There's in the Clone Wars Series 6, when Yoda goes off to this crazy force planet and finds out basically how to become a force ghost. I absolutely adore that episode. When you've got the Mortis arc with Anakin and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan, again, one of my favourite episodes. There's even a one-shot comic in the Age of Republic comics with Qui-Gon Jinn, and he goes to this weird force planet. So I really like force-imbued planets. I mean, Dagobah in itself is one. It's just more aligned with the dark side than the light side. And further into sort of Marda and Yana's conflicting belief systems shows who they align with, which is Yana aligning more with Worth Pluth, the Herald, while Marda more aligning with the Mother. And both the Mother and the Herald are both kind of at odds with each other, trying to somewhat take over the path again, because the Herald had the path, and then the Mother showed up, and then she kind of took over a little bit. And then, as shown in Path of Deceit, so this isn't a spoiler for Path of Vengeance, when she gets the nameless creature, the Leveller, then she just kind of trumps him at every turn. So there is this power struggle going on in this essentially cult. And the cult itself, I can't remember if I actually said it, but the cult believe that the Force should be free. They believe that no one should use the Force, and that anyone who uses the Force is basically damaging the rest of the galaxy, because if you use the Force in one place, it means that the Cosmic Force can't like naturally do things in another place. Now, there's no evidence to show this. I've finished all the Phase 2 content. There's no evidence to actually prove this. This seems to be more so kind of propaganda, and there's a little bit more to it as we get there, but I'll delve into that later. Now, two of the characters that haven't actually been mentioned in that summary, but are mentioned within the first sort of couple of chapters, so I'm going to mention them, is Matty Cathley, or Mattia Cathley, and Olivia Zeveron. So those two characters were first in the High Republic comics by Marvel, written by Kevin Scott. And so, as I said, Path of Vengeance takes place just after those, so it continues their story. And having these two Jedi kind of run concurrently with Marda and Yana, who are the opposite of Jedi in a lot of ways, it is really interesting to get this perspective, and it's more of that investigative tale. So the way Path of Deceit kind of worked out is that Kevmo Zink and his master Zalamakri, they go to investigate this group of people on Dalna, who obviously are the Path of the Open Hand, and try and work out about these artifacts that go missing, and obviously they both get killed by the Path. Really, it's by the Nameless, controlled by the Mother, but that's essentially what happens. And so we get a similar-ish story with Olivia and Matty going to Dalna to look into this a bit more, but they already have their suspicions. Kevmo and Zala were completely in the dark, whereas Matty and Olivia are more on guard. They've got some loose idea that trickery is afoot, and that kind of gives them a bit of an edge. And Olivia Zeveron is a much more switched-on individual, but there is also another connection, which if you've listened to my other episodes and you haven't yet read Path of Vengeance, you would maybe know what that is. Your hint is going to be, listen to the episode on the High Republic Adventures Volume 2, or read the comic, I think it's issue number 5 of the High Republic Adventures by Dark Horse, or just continue listening, and then once I get onto the spoilery parts, I will reveal what it is. But one other part of this book is seeing how the native Dalnans view the path of the open hand, and we don't really get that in Path of Deceit off the top of my head, and so it's quite interesting, there's like an interaction between a path member, Olivia, and Matty, as well as a Dalnan native, 
And it is just interesting seeing how they interact because the Dalnans initially weren't really fast. It's just, you know, this group of people just living off the land kind of far away. But slowly they seem to be buying up more and more land and it's starting to cause problems for nearby villages and things. And they're starting to like pass out leaflets, which are on paper, which, which again isn't something that normally happens in Star Wars. It did happen a little bit in the Edge of Balance Precedent manga that I tackled last week. But it's causing some issues, especially when the Jedi kind of discover this and read these leaflets. It's like, okay, why are they writing on leaflets? But also the things that are said on there are quite peculiar. And this group who are meant to be these beings that aren't really attacking anyone, aren't doing anything, they just always seem to be whenever violence strikes. You know, they're on Jeddah. There's obviously in the High Republic comics written by Kevin Scott and by Marvel. There's probably my favorite issue of them, I think, apart from maybe the second to last issue, is issue four. And it's when the Herald is the main part of it. And it shows how his preaching and things kind of started off the riots in Jeddah. And then in this book, we see how the mother kind of uses that to her advantage to again gain power in the path of the open hand and try and separate herself from the herald and say, look, no, the path of the open hand, we're peaceful. We don't attack. Look, at the Battle of Jeddah, we were helping all these people. We set up an almshouse and we were trying to help the wounded. It's the herald who caused any of the violence. Any negativity around the path, that's all because of the herald. He went against my wishes. He went against what the path are truly about, which is peace. And obviously we know from Path of Deceit, that's not the case. So it is really interesting, this game of internal espionage and a power struggle all happening while also trying to show a face of, hey, we're good, we're nice, we're pleasant. And Yana is starting to see through that, whereas Marda seemingly is completely oblivious to it. And one element I haven't mentioned yet is something that both Marda and Yana see, which I think is mentioned in this book and it is mentioned also in Path of Deceit, which is the Everenny. They see people that they've killed in the past. They're kind of like haunted by spectres in a way. It's worded much better in these books, but Marda throughout this entire book is seeing Kevmo, so Kevmo Zinc. And obviously she was very, very close to him. She started to get very strong feelings towards him. I think they kiss a couple of times in Path of Deceit. And she then kind of puts the final nail in the coffin, allowing him to be consumed by the leveler and obviously him eventually dying. And she initially feels a little bit of regret about this, but she does kind of rectify this in her own mind by saying he used the force, the leveler, it levels off people who use the force and abuse the force is a term they keep using. And so she comes to terms with that. Whereas Yana keeps seeing her now dead ex-girlfriend, Kor, who is the daughter of the Herald, as noted in the publisher summary. And so they're both seeing these people and it's not just seeing them, they have like conversations with them. And A, that works really well as a storytelling device because we've got more than just the internal thoughts of what Marder and Yana are feeling, but also what they're trying to say to someone else who they kind of know isn't there, but they kind of think is there. Like There's moments where they go, you're obviously not real. And then there's other moments and they're like, I know you're not really real, but you kind of feel like you are. Like there is that strange conflict, like, am I going insane or not? And so what they're trying to say to these people is kind of what they're trying to convince themselves of. So it's not just an internal monologue, but it's also what they're trying to project out into the world. So it makes the characters of Marder and Yana very interesting to follow because we've got almost three sides to them. We've got what they're projecting to other people, what they're trying to project, and which is what they're saying to these dead people that they've essentially feel responsible for their death of, and then also what their own internal thoughts are in that way. So you've got three layers and it's very interesting because that is a lot of what a human or, you know, a human in the real world is, is that you've got your own internal thoughts, you've got how people perceive you, and then you've got the middle ground of this kind of mask that you try and put forward the way you want people to see you. And that changes depending on what friend group you're in, what family you're surrounded by, where you are in the workplace. Like a very interesting concept is, not to get too deep and philosophical, is what you actually are and what other people perceive you to be. There are probably hundreds of variations of what people perceive you to be, you the individual who's listening to this, because they can't know what you're thinking or what your intentions are all the time. And I would assume that when you're at your work, you are more in line with being more politically correct. You wouldn't make certain jokes about things. And there's certain elements of your personality that you wouldn't tell people about. There's just a degree of things that you hold back. I'm not saying that you lie about stuff. And I'm not trying to target you as an individual. But it's that kind of idea that if you do something negative, you're not immediately just going to tell everyone you've ever met that you've done this thing. You may try and internalize it and you may try and work on it and make yourself as a better person, but you've still done the thing. And so your true self is someone who has done the thing and what your intentions were when you did it and how you feel afterwards. But people don't get that whole picture. So I think that the way Kevin Scott has written this expertly is Marder and Yana really reflect that true sense of what makes someone to be a person. 
And while this is going on, you've got both Marda and Yana questioning what the other one is doing. Because they're so close together, because they were like children of the path, I think they were called, before the path of the open hand really came to light, they were taken in by the path. They were given meaning and purpose, and they were just living off the land. They were kind of almost little farmers in a sense. And then as they grew up and they got more mature, Marda was left to deal with the littles, while Yana was sent off to get artifacts and kill people and fight people and all that stuff. So they're both constantly questioning what the other one is doing. Yana thinks that Marda's too naive and Marda thinks that Yana is too pessimistic. There's a lot more layers to it than that, but that's like a broad strokes of how they feel. And so you've got this going on while you've got um, Matty Cathley or Mattia Cathley. She's questioning herself to a degree because she's a Padawan and she's had some stuff happen to her, which we see in the High Republic comics. And she's still kind of trying to find herself, as with most Padawans and in fact with pretty much all the young adult books, is following characters who are usually teenagers who are struggling to find their footing in the world as all teenagers do. You know, when you're quite young, you are often quite idealistic about the world and you seem to often have quite a clear path of where you want to go. And then when you're a teenager, you start to realise that the world isn't actually, or the universe in a sense, isn't actually what you expected it to be. And therefore that changes your perceptions and then you get certain urges, certain thoughts, and you actually somewhat have more power to do these things what you think about. Whereas when you're, for example, a 10-year-old, you don't really have that much power to kind of do anything. Whereas when you're, say, 16, 17, 18, that's when you really start to grab the reins of your own life. And that's when you start making more mistakes that are more severe and have more consequences. And then you have to work out how to deal with those things. Whereas Olivia is a more mature Jedi and she does have some skeletons in her closet and has some issues and things, which we find out in this book. But you've got Matty trying to process things that happened to her in the comics while also trying to somewhat live up to Olivia, this Jedi that she perceives to be this not quite the perfect Jedi, but a Jedi who really has her head screwed on. She's very strong-willed. She can be quite blunt and things, but she doesn't let her emotions override her. And I think the Padawans in the entirety of the Star Wars universe really, really struggle to have their emotions kept under control because, I mean, as with teenagers in the real world, it's just a hard thing to do and you have to take time to process your own emotions and recognize these things. So often Padawans, they kind of internally punish themselves for not having a handle on their emotions when they're only Padawans, even though part of being a Padawan is going through those journeys. So all of those elements are interesting, and it's still very interesting to see, even at the start of this book, how the Jedi really still don't actually know the path are involved. They have these feelings, they have these thoughts, and obviously they are correct, but I think it just kind of shows that Jedi aren't as all-knowing as everyone often thinks, and I think that's one of the biggest failings of the Jedi, especially in the prequels, where they had the wall put over their eyes about Palpatine for so long. And then Anakin says to Mace, you know, Palpatine is a Sith Lord. And rather than going through the proper channels or investigating it, Mace basically just goes there with a couple of Jedi to arrest him. He's the kind of like, no. And so Mace ignites his lightsaber and is like, okay, we will fight you then. And it's like, if this was really the Chancellor of the Republic and wasn't a Sith Lord, you are legitimately committing treason. Palpatine is actually right. And obviously in Mace's brashness in doing these things, trying to rush getting the war over and his own kind of thoughts on the matter and his dislike of Palpatine anyway, all of these culminate together to do a decision which obviously ends up being the destruction of the Jedi. They played into Palpatine's hands. They attacked the Chancellor. They attacked someone who was elected. And the Jedi are meant to be separate from the galactic government. And they take charge of a situation which they never really should have done. And that falls right into Palpatine's hands. So when Anakin shows up, slices off Mace Windu's arm, and then Palpatine kills him, it just falls into Palpatine's hands. Because like, see, they attacked. And in a lot of ways, that's what happens at the Battle of Jeddah. When the Convocation come out and say lies to the public of Jeddah, and the Herald finds this out and announces it to everyone, that just further adds weight to the Herald's own opinions against Force users and strengthens it. It's being dishonest and lying and trying to take shortcuts in doing the right thing. That's normally when the Jedi start to fail. Granted, the Jedi get put through these situations, which make them more and more desperate. And although their end goal is correct, the ends don't justify the means. And that's the problem with the Jedi in a lot of ways. And a lot of what's going on in Phase 2 of the High Republic is the Jedi holding back a lot more. Not quite being where they're at with the prequel era Jedi, but they're like holding back and they're really unsure. And then the fight that happens on the Battle of Jeddah slash the Night of Sorrow, which is detailed a lot more in Cataclysm, when that all occurs, most of the Jedi that are there aren't there with the intention to arrest the path. They're just like, something strange is going on with the path. We should go just have a look. We should go speak to them. We should go just kind of talk to them, make up our own minds. And then because so many different groups of Jedi all do that at the same time, including a few non-Jedi, then the path feel immediately threatened. They feel like people are invading and going to attack them. So the path get their back up and start to cause a battle, literally start to fight. And then the Jedi have to reflexively fight in this battle 
they really didn't expect they'd have to be a part of. And that's one of the beauties of Cataclysm, and then that is shown in this book in Path of Vengeance, you know, slightly ahead, but when the Night of Sorrows occurs, we see what Yana and Marder are up to at this point, but obviously it's all kind of happened because the Jedi were checking in on things. Now granted, I think the Jedi did the right thing, and if they'd have left it too long, then the path would have been even more prepared, and the results would have been even more disastrous. But it's about the Jedi kind of trying to balance having all this power and trying to do the right thing while also trying to believe people telling you that they're not doing anything bad, even though you may suspect they are doing something bad. And there's not necessarily a wrongdoing of the Jedi looking into these things, but it's about how they go about it. And Matty and Olivia really toe that line because they're trying to be honest and things, but they do eventually just sneak into a path compound. And that's again, the path then feel threatened and that's why one of the battles happens. So again, I think that Kevin Scott has written this incredibly well, and even though I did say I have some of the critiques of the middle of this has a little bit of a lull in it, it's still a really, really good book. It still really delves into so many interesting elements of Star Wars that I find so interesting, especially when you delve deep in some of the themes. And obviously the prequel movies are something that I really, really enjoy because I think the lore of it and the actual story is really, really good. I'd argue the best in Star Wars like on screen so far. However, it's weakened by the poor dialogue and certain acting let's say choices that aren't quite as good and maybe cgi you know a lot of people critique there's the clones and the droids all fighting each other and it's just big cgi battle that kind of has no emotional weight to it i don't personally agree with that necessarily but i can see where people are coming from but the reason i love the prequels is because there is so much you can delve into in what palpatine is doing and how the clone wars happen and how the fall of the jedi actually happens a lot because of the jedi's own hubris and when you delve deeper and deeper into certain themes of this, I just think you can do so much great stuff with Star Wars with that. And I think that the High Republic really taps into that. And the High Republic is kind of showing how the golden age of the Jedi kind of fell into the prequel era Jedi that could so easily not only be manipulated by the Chancellor, but then also inadvertently kind of almost destroy themselves. So I think that's more or less all I want to say in this kind of mild spoilery review. So I think I'm going to delve straight on in and do my full spoiler warning. So I'm going to be talking in depth a bit more about my thoughts on this book. And I'm also going to give you a full plot overview as to what happens here. So you have a good summary of what happens in the book. Maybe you miss something. I'm not going to delve into like every single thing because again, this book, I think the audiobook of this is, you know, 10 plus hours long. And so I couldn't summarize that aptly without taking hours and hours and hours, which I'm trying not to do. So I'll kind of briefly give you a bit more information on certain elements that happened, certain things that I liked, certain details about characters, and then I'll give you a general summary of anything else I missed, and then we'll wrap this up. So one thing I'll mention is Marda's trip to Planet X. So Marda, along with a few other individuals, including Sunshine Dobbs, go off to this Planet X, which is this crazy Force planet where you go on there, and even if you're not Force-sensitive, you feel almost drunk on the Force, it like overwhelms you. And someone that Marder meets in this book is an Avisian called Bokana. So an Avisian is another species. You would have seen one of them in The Rise of Skywalker, the character called Bulio, and he actually gives some of the intel to Poe and Finn at the start of The Rise of Skywalker, and then the First Order kill him, and cut off his head and then throw it onto the table at the First Order Council, where Kylo Ren and General Pride and Hux, all those people are. So that's an Avisian. It's basically a humanoid individual without a nose that has horns coming out of their head and seem to have beige-coloured skin. So this Avisian, called Bakana, gets very close to Marder. They end up having feelings for each other, and then Marder and him kiss. And then they go to this Planet X place. He's acting a little bit peculiar. Obviously, they all kind of seem drunk on the Force in certain ways. And he can also seemingly read people's minds a little bit. He can kind of use the Force, not necessarily Force push and things like that, but he has these intuitions that he's never had before. And then Marder starts to become suspicious of him, and then starts questioning him, and then again gets very paranoid and things, and starts thinking that he's been lying to her all this time. So it's like Marder is becoming very paranoid and very suspicious of Force users, even on a planet where it makes people more in tune with the Force and actually kind of gives people Force powers to some degree. So on this planet X, there's lots of crazy, weird beings on there, but that's where they go to try and get eggs of the nameless beings. So while they're going off there, Yana's kind of wandering around. He's, she's on Jeddah initially and is trying to find the Rod of Daybreak. She ends up breaking the Herald out of prison after he got arrested in the end of the High Republic comics. And, you know, if you connect the Rod of Daybreak with the Rod of Seasons, it means you can control the leveler, like, indefinitely. So, while she's teaming up with the Herald to do that, and then they go to Dalna, and then the Herald's like, well, I'm going to wait, you go look around, A, find my wife, and then B, try and figure out stuff about the mother. And she does eventually find the Herald's wife, who's called Opari. She's, like, completely malnourished and things. And the Herald doesn't actually seem that phase. He's much more interested in what the mother's up to. And the mother is, you know, really getting this cult of the path of the open hand riled up. And again, I mentioned those leaflets slightly earlier on, so they're becoming a lot more brainwashed and they're starting to become the path of the closed fist. 
They stop being like these just peace-loving farmers, some may even derogatory call them hippies, and they start to become soldiers and fighters. And then like old people are like left in huts by themselves and they're too old to fight. This is all detailed in Cataclysm. And Yana's getting serious bad vibes about all this situation, starting to question things, while also being wary that she kind of just wants to find Marda and bail. So she's kind of doing that. The mother thanks her for getting the word of Daybreak. And then the mother, when she's preaching and stuff to the path, she then has these force seizures and says that she's having like visions and things, which I think she does have one in the Path of Deceit, but it's much more detailed in the Path of Vengeance. And that's making Yana question everything even more. It's getting more and more peculiar. The mother's getting older and weaker and all this stuff, while also having the leveler at her feet at all times. So Yana's getting more and more concerned about what the path members are actually doing and notes there's a couple of people who like get poisoned, it seems, and it's just getting more and more peculiar. While that's going on, Matty and Olivia are going around and investigating stuff. They end up getting found out. There's like a crowd that surrounds them. They think that they've killed this journalist called Rick Ferrazzi, who went there to kind of investigate the path, wants it to be a big story, and then mysteriously seemingly got really ill, maybe poisoned. And so the Jedi get blamed for doing this. And so Yana has to kind of go and calm the situation down to de-escalate things. And Yana kind of trusts Olivia and Matty to kind of do the right thing and somewhat helps them a little bit while also really trying to take a step back from everything because Yana's essentially all about self-preservation that's seemingly what her kind of part is in both earlier on in Path of Deceit but also in this book she becomes more and more obsessed with herself where she in her mind kind of failed saving Kor she then just wants to save herself and Marda and get out whereas Marda is really for the cause Marda's there for the path Marda is slowly becoming more and more interesting, kind of getting power and influence and being able to do what she wants. And so in Planet X, she's like trying to get this stuff to prove to the mother her worth, to try and prove that her and Yana aren't just these Everenni. And there's lots of rumors about the Everenni and how their species are kind of evil in certain respects. And it is detailed a bit in the Eye of the Storm, which is the Charles Saul double comic, but people still look at them differently and don't treat them very well. And, you know, that really doesn't jive well with Marda. And again, as this journey of Marda and Yana continues, Marda gets harder, as in she becomes less forgiving and more aggressive in certain ways, while Yana is kind of pulling back more. She's becoming softer in a lot of ways. Again, their kind of trajectories kind of cross over. What's interesting about Planet X as well is it really does connect to the quest for Planet X. Das Lefbrock and his dad, Spence, they're both mentioned by Sunshine, and then their ship crashes as they go through something called the Veil, and then they find Das's ship and kind of repair stuff. And there's also connections to the Nameless Terror comics, because there's a couple of, I think it's three ships that go towards the Planet X. One of them gets destroyed like immediately through the Veil. Then another one gets damaged, as well as Sunshine's ship that has Marder on it gets damaged. They crash land, and then all of them decide, oh, we'll repair our ships and get off the rock. And then they kind of do that, but then one group of them, which has someone called Geth on it and a Rodian called Wall and a female as well called Shalish I think they're all in the Nameless Terror so you go find out what happens to them in the George Mann miniseries by Dark Horse which I tackled a few episodes ago on this very feed while Marda and Sunshine and stuff escape and then go back to Dalna and then while that happens as well Sunshine starts to tell Marda about like there's something weird about the mother and she's like well you're obsessed with the mother you do everything she ever wants and he's like yeah when I'm away from her, I kind of realize how weird that is. But when I'm around her, I can't help it. It's like this intoxicating effect on my mind. I'm not really sure. And that obviously raises some questions as well. And then the big crescendo of this book is the Battle of Dalna, the Night of Sorrow. It's the big crescendo in Cataclysm as well. And it's touched upon a little bit in Quest for Planet X. But it's basically the big end to Phase 2 of the High Republic. And it's where the Path are fighting the Dalnans, as well as the Jedi, as well as some other individuals, people from Aram and Erano. And so all of this stuff is all going on and everything is just crazy. People are killing each other left, right and centre. Marder and Yana are like in the mix trying to work out what's going on. Sunshine's there and there's these nameless beings going around killing people and turning them into husks and stuff. So it's just... It's really, really crazy. It's a really, really good read. And I found that when Kevin Scott was writing the Battle of Dalna parts, I wasn't like confused really what was going on. I could really follow it. So again, kudos to Kevin Scott for writing like that and also to Lydia Kang for writing it in Cataclysm because I didn't find those battle scenes hard to follow. And then eventually the Mother and the Herald kind of come across each other. They start to fight because they are literally fighting for power. The Mother then kills the Herald and then Marda runs off with the Rod, stops the Nameless from killing the Jedi and things and explosions happen and the Flood happens and Yana does save Marda. And I will say that Marda actually had a conflict with Yana believing that she's betrayed her and so Marda does cut off one of Yana's hands as well earlier on in the book. So there's this real visceral aggression to Marda that wasn't there especially at the start of Path of Deceit. 
And Yana can see this happening and then is kind of in this spiral of like, should I save her? What do I do? Do I stay? And Yana does, you know, stay. And as I said, she does basically save Marta from drowning. And then the Rod of Daybreak disappears. The Nameless are seemingly gone. They've kind of scurried off or they've all been killed, apart from the Leveler, it seems. And the battle generally kind of calms down, but the Mother does actually get killed. Now, a little more detail about the Mother. So the Mother's full name is Alicia Zeveron. And if you're paying attention, there's another character in this book called Olivia Zeveron. So it's confirmed that the mother and Olivia are actually sisters. And the Jedi came along and took Olivia away. And I think that the mother slash Alicia is older than Olivia. And so Olivia got taken away because her force, sensitivity and powers had a lot of potential. But they left Alicia behind because she wasn't strong enough in the force. Obviously, that made Alicia very bitter, and so she started planning all these things. And then what it also shows is when she's had this influence over people, like she can essentially use a Jedi mind trick on people. That's why Sunshine acts the way he does and why she has power over so many people. That also explains why she has these force seizures, because she does have force visions. And then also when she is like declining in health, becoming older and withered and things, it's because the leveler is like subtly feeding off her all the time. And that's why she's so desperate to have the Rod of Daybreak and the Rod of Seasons, because the Leveler's hunger is starting to overpower her. And if the Leveler decides it and she doesn't have the power to stop it, the Leveler will kill her and eat her, essentially. And that is exactly what happens. She gets disarmed, and then Marda commands the Leveler to attack the Mother, and the Mother gets killed by the very creature that she specifically brought about. And this is the thing that Olivia wasn't really telling people. This is the thing that Olivia is kind of holding back and like has been internalizing this whole time is knowing that her sister is out there in the galaxy and then slowly coming to the realization that the mother of the path of the open hand is her sister. So Olivia wants to go there and kind of sort it out without other Jedi knowing very much. And Matty at the start of the novel was actually told to go with Olivia by Vildar Mac and Tayseric, mainly Vildar. And then Vildar quietly says, you need to keep an eye on Olivia because there's something going on that we're not sure of. So with all these intricate plot lines, obviously I'm just kind of skating through and I hope you have read the book by now or that you will read the book because it is absolutely fantastic. And there's just so many layers to all of the characters and what's going on with them all. And the way it kind of ends is the way phase two is meant to be structured is it kind of bleeds into phase one and shows what happened to Marquion Rowe's ancestors. You know, it's 150 years prior, so I think it's probably three to six generations, maybe. I'd probably say, you know, nearer four or five generations, I think from, I assume, Marda down to Marquion. But Marda does go off of the Gaze Electric, which obviously is Marquion Rowe's ship eventually, or the ship of the Nile. And Marda and Yana do survive. Yana goes off with Shia to become like a hauler, and she has the Rod of Daybreak while Marda has got the Rod of Seasons, is on the Gaze Electric alone and kind of starts anew. So Marda has become this hardened individual and eventually starts the Nile, whereas Yana, we don't really know what happens to Yana. And I will say, as of recording this, the Tales of Light and Life short story collection has come out, and I know one of those stories at least does delve into Marda Rowe a little bit more, so I will eventually give you a little bit more information on Marda Rowe and kind of the connections between Phase 2 and Phase 1 of the High Republic, but at present I haven't read that book, I don't even have it, so I can't actually inform you on that. But yeah, the end of this book is Olivia and Matty survive, which I'm very happy about because I loved Matty. She's fantastic in the comics. Olivia survived, which is good as well. Olivia's quite a cool character. But the mother's dead. The herald is dead. The path is seemingly no more. But there are like individuals within the path, the elders who kind of go off by themselves and kind of do their own thing. And that's what leads into phase one of the High Republic that we specifically see in the High Republic Adventures comics by Daniel Jose Older. You've got Elder Tromac, who in phase two is just a child. And you've got these people who are genuinely peaceful, but still believe that the force is evil and they don't want to associate with the Jedi. And they're kind of nomads. They're floating off in the galaxy with their ships kind of doing their own thing. And they don't really bother anyone. And then phase one happens and we kind of see them cross paths with the Jedi again and Tromac helps Yoda find out more about the Rod of Seasons the Rod of Daybreak and probably gives Yoda a lot more information on what has actually happened so yeah, I think that's my breeze through of relatively everything that happened in the plot there's also Aslan Rell who pops up in this as well he's the one who investigates Kevmo and Zala's disappearance and he's been popping up in a lot of pieces of content I didn't really realize until recently you know he's in the Edge of Valence precedent he's in the Quest for the Jedi he's in Path of Vengeance and Path of Deceit he seems like quite a background character but he does get severely affected by the leveler and that's what kind of breaks him in a lot of ways but we see that a lot more in edge of balance precedent which i did tackle in the previous episode but yeah, in summary, Path of Vengeance, really good book, works really, really well with uh, Path of Deceit, and Path of Deceit and Path of Vengeance are like bookends of Phase 2 of the High Republic. I thoroughly enjoyed Phase 2 of the High Republic, I know there's two more pieces of content I have to tackle, the Tales of Light and Light short story collection, and the Tales of Enlightenment short story collection by George Mann, Tales of Light and Life, that'll be out soon, or rather I'll have it soon, it's already out, and then Tales of Enlightenment I think as a collection is being released later on in 2023, so hopefully I'll tackle that in 2024. 
but we're done with phase two of the high republic in all the broad strokes i've tackled every single comic i have tackled book reviews and plot summaries of all the books and it's been a wild ride i was skeptical about phase two of the high republic because you know it's a prequel and i was getting really invested in the characters of phase one and i think that was the general consensus of a lot of people but it is absolutely fantastic I think the writing and the stories are a lot more consistent and a lot more connected in Phase 2, and I think that Phase 3 is going to culminate together everything people liked about Phase 1 with everything people liked about Phase 2, and hopefully Phase 3 will be even better than Phase 1 and 2, both of which I love. I probably like Phase 1 and 2 equally, but for different reasons, but I think the books themselves of Phase 2 are slightly more consistent, but I will say that 6 books compared to 9 books, it's kind of easier to not have a weaker book just by numbers. But yeah, really, really enjoyed this book. Really, really enjoyed Phase 2 of The High Republic. It's been a wild ride. Got a little bit of a break until Phase 3 kicks off. I think the Shadows of Starlight miniseries, which is within a year, I think, of the end of Phase 1 and really connects Phase 1 to Phase 2, that's written by Charles Saul. That is going to be out, I think, the first issue in October. So I'm very excited about that. And then in November, George Mann's Eye of Darkness book comes out, which is the first adult novel. And I think that kickstarts High Republic Phase 3. I know some people have got early reading copies at the moment. I personally did not apply for one, so I do not have one. And I'm currently having a little break from reading Star Wars novels just to read a few non-Star Wars novels at the time before I delve fully into Phase 3. But I think that's going to be relatively it from me, my friends. If you haven't checked out my other High Republic content, please check out the playlist on YouTube if you're there. If you are on YouTube, make sure you like the video and subscribe and check out all my other content. I've done a lot of Star Wars interviews. I've interviewed George Mann, Kevin Scott, Claudia Gray, and then other people not involved in the High Republic like Kevin Shinnick. They're all in a playlist called Star Wars Conversations. Most of those conversations have got video as well. I've done interviews with loads of people that have got nothing to do with Star Wars, interviews with people who talk about Star Wars a bit and like Star Wars but aren't creating canon Star Wars content but loads and loads of stuff to do with Star Wars. And if you are listening to this and you haven't checked out the main show, Star Wars Comics in Canon, please go and check that out because I tackle all kinds of comics and things. I've tackled every Canon Marvel comic, as well as a decent chunk of the IDW Publishing and Dark Horse comics as well, all of which are Canon on the show. And you never have to have read a Star Wars comic in your entire life to enjoy it. So please check out those episodes. I've done all the Darth Vader, Star Wars, non-High Republic stuff but I have tackled every single piece of High Republic content so far, and I'll continue to try and do all of it for Phase 3 as well, which is going to be over, I think, until the end of 2025. So we've still got another year and a half of that. But please make sure you subscribe, check out my other content, please rate and review, share on social media, all that great stuff. Consider supporting me on Patreon, we get bonus content, including a bunch of Star Wars stuff. And uh, just thank you so much for listening, friends. I appreciate each and every one of you. Please make sure you check out the Ahsoka discussion shows that I've been doing weekly with a different guest every week. It's been a lot of fun on there. That's also on my YouTube channel or on the podcast feed of Comics in Motion. I'll speak to you next week with some non-High Republic content delving back into the comic series of Star Wars, Dr. Aphra, Darth Vader and Bounty Hunters as we go into the Dark Droids crossover event. And there's a couple of mini series floating around as well that I'm going to delve into. But friends, thank you so much as always. I'll talk to you next week and may the Force be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.